Good morning. My name is Maddie. The Old Testament reading is found in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And I'll read the first verse, the Shema, in Hebrew. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Rebecca. The New Testament reading is found in Romans 10, 14 through 17. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The word of the Lord. Hi, right, good morning. My name is Gabe. Uh, thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in Mark 4, 1 through 9. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into the boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things and parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. <clears throat> Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing, and yielding thirtyfold, and sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears, let him hear. The Gospel of the Lord. Remain standing as we pray. So Lord, I ask that you would uh, let the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you. And we ask, Lord, that you would give all of us ears to hear, to truly hear today. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Well, we're in week five here on this series through the Gospel of Mark. And we've mentioned each week how Mark was the earliest gospel written, written somewhere in the late A.D. 60s, possibly drawing on some earlier oral tradition stories about Jesus, possibly drawing on some insight from Peter, who, who he was, whom he was a companion to. But Mark really doesn't give us a lot of finished products finished statements, finished theological uh, declarations about Jesus. Mark wants to sort of present us with the raw story and then invite us to wrestle with it. So Mark is short, doesn't have all the theology John has, doesn't have all of the Jewish backdrop that Matthew has, doesn't have all of the stories that Luke has. Mark drops us right in abruptly, uses this word immediately 42 times. It's a fast-paced, quick-moving story 
that many scholars think it actually takes the form of a play. And so we've had a little fun with this each week, where each week is really like an episode, you know. In this episode, we're going to meet Jesus, the Son of God. In this episode, we're going to meet Jesus, the healer, and on and on it goes. And the, the point for all of us as New Life Downtown as we go through this series is really to wrestle with this question, who is Jesus? And maybe some of you, you're, you're quite sure, you already know, well, I already know, and I, I've, I've already got it worked out, and I can tell you all the things I believe about Jesus. I think that's wonderful. My hope for you uh, as we go through this series is that you would be confronted with this Jesus with the full force of who he really is. Mark shows us the disciples even being kind of bewildered and, and, and having struggle with their faith because they're just not sure what to do with the full weight of who this person is. So there's room for that, and I want you to make room for that as we go through this series, to be confronted again with the beautiful and astonishing person of Jesus. And then there's others of you who, you know, you're thinking about this and you're saying, well, I still would really like to know. I mean, I've got some interesting stories that I've heard about him, and I think he was a pretty nice teacher, and he seemed to really care about the poor, so he seems like a nice chap. And the, the stories about Jesus that Mark tells begin to sort of ratchet up the drama, if you will. Last week, Mark told us that his family thought that Jesus had lost his mind. This is not a nice, sweet chap, you know. Um, last week, they said, the religious leaders said, Jesus is in league with the devil. And so, either way, wherever you're coming from, a place of familiarity or a place of curiosity, our hope in this series is that you would grapple in a fresh way with who this person, Jesus Christ, really is. Today we're going to talk about Jesus as a storyteller. And I was thinking about this, you know, my wife and I, we have four kids, ages 10, all the way down to three. And uh, a word that, that we say a lot in our home, and maybe you parents can relate, is the word, listen. Hey, hey, listen. Hey, listen up. And sometimes it's listen like, I need your attention. Like, would you, would you please put away what you're doing? And would you please, you know, hey, 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 listen, listen. God, look up here. You know, that kind of thing. Like, just listen, pay attention. And other times it's the word listen as in like, obey. Like, hey, would you just listen already? You know, enough with the, but why? But I want to do this, but I'm hungry, but I need a drink. I need to go to the bathroom another time before. Why at bedtime? Is it all of a sudden you're immediately struck with like intense hunger and like, you know, all of these things. Guys, please just listen. And I find myself pleading with the kids over and over again, please just, just listen, listen. But something funny happens when we sit down to read a book. Not all the time, but sometimes in the evening we settle in and there's, there's something about a story that helps everybody to kind of listen. Now we have three girls and, and one son, three, three daughters, one, one son, and, uh, and our boy, he's six and he's pretty active, you know, he, he's always kicking a ball against some room at the house. Any arrangement of chairs is like a soccer goal all of a sudden, you know, and there, that is now his new target to, to kick it through. And, and, and his sisters, unsuspecting as they are walking past, are an opposing defender that he has to slide tackle, you know. And... Um, and so this is what he does. You can't, if you walk past him, he's going to bump you or push you or kick you or trip you. It's just he's active all the time. But 
the last several weeks have been kind of fun because we started getting from the library the, the, the book series, the Magic Treehouse books. Okay, you know these books, right? And, uh, and Jonas is really into it. So we'll sit down in the evening and he'll settle in and be totally fixed for a long time, which a long time is like 15 minutes, but a long time of just totally being... And we, we can get through like five chapters because the story has him captivated. Jesus told stories quite often, and these are, we, we call them parables because they're meant to sort of teach something, and there's something about a parable that makes us stop. But sometimes we think of Jesus' parables and we think, oh, I know what the parables are. The parables are, are sermon illustrations. They're basically Jesus using metaphors from real life, and they're just meant to help you, help to illustrate his point. Actually, the parables are not illustrations. In fact, many times you read a parable and you understand less after it than you did before it. So they're not illustrations. Eugene Peterson, the the translator of the message paraphrase, he says, stories are verbal acts of hospitality. I love that idea. That stories are a way of welcoming you in. Uh, Pastor Joey alluded earlier in the service to the story of the prodigal son. Immediately we're welcomed into this world. Certainly the parables in Luke's gospel work like that. They draw you in. But you know what? There's a funny thing about Mark. Mark doesn't tell us that Jesus' parables are about inviting you in. In fact, Mark wants us to see the parables as a way of keeping people out. Isn't this interesting? Mark chapter 4, verse 10. Jesus has just finished telling the parable that we've heard read this morning. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. I mean, this is shocking. This is basically Jesus saying, I speak in parables so that those who know already know, and those who don't will be left not knowing. And you're like, Jesus, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? This parable is one of the longer uh, parables that Mark tells. Again, unlike Luke, who has a long sequence of stories, Mark has Jesus only records two lengthy parables of Jesus, and this is the first one. Jesus, if we go on in verse 13, he starts to explain it to them. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Catch what's going on here. This is what's, what you might call an interpretive key. This is Jesus saying, look, this is not just one of my sermons or one of my stories. This story is the way you understand everything else about me and about my message. If you miss this story, you miss me. You miss everything else that I am about. This is not just some random story, a cute illustration. This is Jesus saying, look, if you don't understand this, you're not going to get the rest of it. And then he goes on, verse 14, and begins to explain it. The sower sows the word. This is the, a, a particular phrase. The Greek here for the word halagos is a specific reference to the word about Christ, the word about the gospel. It's what later Christian writers will use to say, as a shorthand way of saying the gospel, the word. And so Jesus says, look, the sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. 
When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And then these are the ones that are sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they receive the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. They do good for a little while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. Three times he said the word here. If you're into circling, underlining, highlighting, whatever, do that. Circle that word here each time of those first few verses. Now here it goes again. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it, bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. At first glance, Jesus has outlined four types of responses to who he is and to his secret message about the kingdom. His thing that God has kept kind of hidden. There's this secret in Mark where Jesus keeps telling people when he heals them, don't tell anyone. And demons cry out. He says, don't say it yet. There is something about his identity and his mission that he wants hidden for a little while. He doesn't want every, who doesn't want it to be obvious so that everybody's like, oh yes, we have to believe. He wants those who get it to get it. And if you think about these four types of responses, you have the outsider, the ones who are on the path, the the path along the way of, of the soil. These are the people that really paid no attention to Jesus. You know, for us, we, our knowledge of Jesus comes through these gospel writers, so we think he was an undeniable um, figure of his day. But actually, when you read some of the other accounts of Jesus' life, yes, he was a, a remarkable figure that people knew, but there were plenty of people in the Roman Empire who thought, this is just another whack job. This is, just some, this is some little disturbance happening somewhere down in Galilee off the countryside. We, we don't even, he's, it's not a blip on the radar. And Jesus is saying, look, There are people who hear about me and hear what I'm saying, but they're so far on the outside, there's nothing to stick, nothing that makes it stick. But then he says, there's hard ground. These are the ones who hear, but it doesn't even take root. Who's he talking about here? He's talking about the Pharisees, about the scribes, the ones who are like, I'm listening. They have soil. They have a context for who he is, but they they don't believe. They're like, no, this guy is mad. He's crazy. He's in league with the devil. No way, no way, no way. And then Jesus says there's a third kind of listener. The ones where you might call it the fickle follower. The ones who kind of hear, but they don't endure for long. Who are these people in Jesus' ministry? Well, they're the crowds. They're the crowds that are drawn by the miracles, drawn by this, this amazing person that they can't quite figure out. But Jesus is saying, look, It's about to get hard. It's about to get difficult. And Mark is maybe foreshadowing what's coming in the drama. There's going, this conflict with the authorities that we've been reading about is about to build up to a crescendo. And Jesus is saying, all the crowds that love, that are gathered here, so much so that I have to get in the boat and use the sea as a way of amplifying my voice to speak to the crowd. Look, they're all here now, but just wait till it gets harder. They're the fickle followers. And then he names the disciples as the believers, the one who yield fruit. So this parable is, first and foremost, it's Jesus' way of explaining his own life and ministry. He's saying, look, this is how it is. 
I'm here. I'm announcing the good news of the kingdom. Some people are on the outside, don't even get it. Some people are closed to it. Some people are excited about it, but they don't really want the life of the disciple. And then he says, but there are others. They're really listening. And they're, they're the ones that fruit will come from. Now, probably you've heard some talk or sermon on the parable of the sower. And so there's, on one hand, something very obvious about this story. It's like, well, yeah, we want to be like the good soil. But you know what's interesting? Is the point of the story, nowhere in the story is Jesus saying, be good soil. He doesn't say that. Because frankly, the people don't have a choice in the matter. They either are or they're not. And so the very, the, 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 the crux of this parable is not what kind of heart will you have? The crux of this parable is actually something deeper. There's three things. The first is this, that the sower is generous. The sower is incredibly generous. Jesus scatters the word everywhere. Now, my father-in-law is a farmer in Iowa, and he's kind of an old-school farmer. He, he doesn't use GPS tractors. He likes to go you know, run his tractors himself. For the longest time, he wouldn't um, plant Roundup-ready soybeans. Uh, if you know what, what that is, it's, it's a genetically modified soybean that is resistant to the pesticide Roundup. So you plant it, and weeds will grow up with the soybeans, but then you can mass spray the field, and only the weeds will die because the soybeans have been modified to be Roundup resistant. Okay, now I'm not making a comment on whether that's good or bad or whatever. He just chose for the longest time not to do that. He wanted to plant like actual soybeans, but it meant that he would have to walk through the fields and pull the weeds from the soybean fields. This is what attentive farmers like to do. They know what's going to happen, but they're going to make sure that everything has its best shot of, of, of yielding a harvest. But Jesus tells a story about a sower who seems sort of indiscriminate, who sort of seems a little wasteful, a little extravagant, a sower who's just scattering seed everywhere so that it's, some of it spills off of the field and onto a path. You're like, what a rookie farmer. I mean, who's going to listen? Keep it in the field. What do you mean some of the seed ended up on the path? Like, what are, what are you, this is your first time, you know, sowing? <laughs> but Jesus is saying, look, I want you to see something. The sower is generous. The word of God goes out everywhere. The psalmist said, the heavens declare the glory of God. Day and night they pour forth speech. I'd like to suggest to you that there's seeds about God everywhere in our world. Everywhere. Not proofs, not arguments, not things that back you against the wall and say, you have to believe, not, not like that. But there are seeds everywhere. There are seeds in great stories. Last week, I know some of you are a little ruffled that I mentioned Harry Potter in a positive light, you know? But, <laughs> but there are seeds everywhere. And some people will say, listen, I, I like that story because it reminds me of another story. Or I like this movie because it reminds me of another story. I like this piece of art. I love this sunset because it reminds me of... See, there's seeds scattered everywhere. The sower is generous. It also makes me think of our efforts as people who are sowing the seed of the Word of God. Maybe kindness to a neighbor. Maybe an invitation to lunch. And you're like, I don't know if this is doing any good. I'm not sure how strategic it is because surely some of this is ending up on the wayside. 
Surely this is wasted acts of kindness to someone who's in transition in homelessness. Surely this is a wasted act of love. Surely this was a, a futile conversation that I had with a friend. Surely, I, I, I. But see, actually, that's just like Jesus. The sower is generous. He scatters the seed of the word of God everywhere. It goes everywhere. But the second thing about this story is that the seed is powerful. The seed is powerful. It is the gospel itself that contains the power for fruitfulness. Sometimes when you think about the Christian life, you think, well, okay, so I've got the word of God, and now what am I going to do to bear fruit? What am I going to do? But do you know that's not quite how it works in nature, is it? Like in the seed is the power of the harvest. The seed itself contains the ability to yield. It is the very word of God that has the power to create change in your life. This story, when you first start it, you're like, okay, Jesus, first of all, this this sower sounds like an amateur. But secondly, the odds are stacked against the farmer for a harvest, right? You're telling me that he sowed in four different places. One was picked up by birds. The other was on like rocky Colorado type of soil, which was like Jerusalem where nothing grows. There's clay and rock underneath it. And you're telling me a third of, the other third went to, another portion, portion of it went to um, 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 places where there was thorns. You're telling me that 25% of the seed that you sowed actually landed on good soil. Yeah, good luck with that. You're not going to yield. I mean, imagine like sitting with your investment advisor and them saying, well, this fund is a dud. This one never yields. This one is bound to make you lose money. But this one might be good. And you're like, yeah, it's time to find a different advisor. That's not a very good portfolio. And the miracle of the story is somehow one quarter of this seed yields 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. You're like, how'd that happen? You know how that happened? The seed is powerful. The seed is powerful. This is the thing that we miss about the gospel, is that the power to change and the power to be different is not in you. It's in him. That's why Paul says to the Colossians, it's Christ in you that is the hope of glory. Not you. You're not the hope of glory. But Christ in you is the hope of glory. The seed contains the power in it. The gospel itself has the capacity to lead us into fruitfulness. Now, in normal life, we don't use the word fruit or fruitfulness, right? We don't say, I really hope that 2016 I will bear more fruit this year, you know? We usually just say normal stuff, like, I hope to be different this year. I hope I get better in my marriage this year. I hope I get better at parenting. I hope I grow. And we might say growth words. But I want to say to you, church, that the power to actually become different has nothing to do with you. The power to become different is in the very power of the gospel itself. It's, this is the word that Isaiah said in Isaiah 55. You remember this? 
the famous passage here in Isaiah where he says, For as rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. This is Isaiah's way of saying, look, it is Yahweh's word that creates. It's Yahweh's word that made the heavens and the earth. It's Yahweh's word, the word that brings forth fruit. And Jesus is echoing that. Jesus is saying, look, and here I am. And I want you to know it is the word of Christ that produces change in you. But then there is something that we do. What we do is not will our way into change or into fruitfulness. What we do is listen. The disciple is a listener. We heard the text being read in our gospel reading this morning, and it opened with Jesus saying these words. He said, listen, listen, a sower went out to sow. And then when he finishes the story in verse 9, he ends with the saying, he says, let he who has ears to hear, hear. Let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Listen, and then if you have ears to hear, hear. Really hear. Listen. Why? Why that emphasis on listening? So thankful Maddie, when she read the Old Testament reading, read the first line of Deuteronomy in Hebrew, because you could really hear it. It's called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Shema. It's called the Shema because the first word of that saying is the Hebrew word Shema, which means hear. Hear. In fact, this is a little fun trivia for you. Spock in Star Trek Played by the, the actor Leonard Nimoy, was raised in a good Jewish synagogue. And when they said, you got to come up with some kind of hand gesture to say live long and prosper or whatever, and he did what he had seen a rabbi do his whole childhood. Because when the rabbi stood up to say, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, he would stand up and do his hands in the shape of the Hebrew letter Shem, which is the first letter of that word, Shema. And so the rabbi would stand up and give the blessing and say, hear, listen, Shema. And, and, and Nimoy says, I chose this because we, I w- it was ingrained into me as a boy that when you hear the word of the Lord, you will live long and prosper. That the flourishing life comes as a result not of better effort, but of better listening, of hearing. Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear, hear, hear. In fact, you might even say that The whole story of the Old Testament is the story of God's people learning to listen and failing to listen. Just read through, do a a little Bible gateway search or something for the number of times the word hear or listen shows up. It's over and over again. All through Isaiah, all through the Psalms, turn my ear. I incline my ear to your commands, O God. Hear, hear, hear. One of the metaphors that the, that the psalmist uses of what God does when he redeems Israel is, you know what it is? Is he says, you dug out my ears. Sorry, Lou. <laughs> this is kind of gross. I, you dug out my ears. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, God, when you found me, I was a blockhead. 
<laughs> but you dug out ears so that I could finally hear. The boy Samuel, he's living in a, in a home where the priest Eli has become dim and inattentive to the word. It says the word of the Lord was not heard in those days. And then the boy Samuel hears, hears. Actually, Samuel's very name means the Lord hears. But Samuel would spend his life becoming the boy who hears. He answers the Lord and he says, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And so when Jesus stands up in the boat in the middle of the sea to the crowd and he says, Listen! It's not just a call for, hey, pay attention. It's an echo of this rich Jewish tradition that says, it's time to listen because we're about to hear the words of life. If it's true that Mark got his source material from some of Peter's stories, then isn't it interesting that John tells us this moment where Jesus is teaching and all the crowds are leaving because the word had not really taken root in them and Jesus had said something offensive and it says everybody began to leave saying this is a hard saying and Jesus turns to the 12 and he says are you going to go also and Peter turns to Jesus and says Lord to whom shall we go you have the words of life the disciple is a listener. The life of the disciple is the one who listens, the one who keeps hearing over and over again. You remember I asked you to circle the word here in verses 13 through 20. I said to you that it seems like there's four different types of soil or four different types of responses. The truth is it's much simpler than that. There's only two. There's only two. When Jesus is explaining the parable, he says, the one who's on the path is the one who hears, but then Satan snatches it away. The one who's on the rocky ground, he hears. But every time Jesus says the, the, the word hears there, talking about those three negative responses, it's the Greek word for a superficial hearing. It's the Greek word for a casual, superficial, in one ear, out the other kind of hearing. But then when he says the one who hears and yields the harvest in his life, that he changes the verb there, Jesus does. And the verb there that Mark records is the word for an active, ongoing listening. An active, ongoing listening. An active attentiveness, a continual attentiveness. Here's the point of the whole story. Everybody's going to get a chance to be exposed to the Word of God. Some are not going to receive. Some, the devil's going to snatch up. Some, life won't help. But look, if you've been lucky enough to hear it, he who has ears, if you've been lucky enough to hear it, make sure you're really listening. And make sure you go on listening. Don't be a superficial listener where it goes in one ear and out the other. Don't be a quick listener. So, oh, yeah, I'm in. I got it. I believe. I'm in. Be a lifelong listener to the gospel. One of the unintended tragedies of our quick emphasis on conversionism in America is that we've ta taught people, look, here you go, you hear the message, now make a, make a decision. 
And then we said, okay, great, you've made your decision. Now, if you'd like, there's this other thing, it's called discipleship. I mean, maybe you're not ready for that, but just, you know. And so we've sort of internalized inadvertently the notion that you can make a quick decision for Jesus and hallelujah, you're saved. And then you can sign up for that optional extra credit discipleship thing if you'd like. But that's not what Mark is saying. Mark is saying is, if you've been lucky enough to hear it, then listen. Listen. Give your whole life to listening to Jesus. Give your whole life to attentively turning toward him. Listen, listen, listen. This is why I think in some ways it's better to be a doubter who keeps listening than a believer who thinks they already know. It's better to be a doubter who keeps listening than a believer who thinks they already know. I love New Life Downtown because I know, I know, this is a congregation full of people who are still listening, are still listening. And this has become a safe place for people who are like, I'm not sure if I fully believe, I'm not sure if I'm there, but I'm not quick to, the, to decisions I just, I want to, but I do want to keep listening. If you're here and you're saying, I, I don't know what to do about this, or I'm not quite sure what to say about this, I'm not pushing you to a quick decision, but I am inviting you to keep listening. Be a lifelong listener to the word of Christ, the word of the gospel, and let it work in you. Let it change you. Let it mess with you. Joey mentioned Ash Wednesday, this Wednesday, and the season of Lent. Yeah, the blog kind of explains stuff about it, and at the service we'll talk a bit more about it. But, you know, I think Lent is just space to listen. So when, when, when people give up something for Lent, it's not to be holy or religious. It's really to turn down the noise. It's really to say, you know what, just normal life is like, Wah. so I'm just going to take these six weeks, these 40 days, and I'm not going to watch TV those days. I'm, not, I'm just going to put... Netflix on pause for a little. I'm just going to wait. just going to fast that. Why? Because I just need to turn down the noise. But Lent, it's not just turning down the noise. It's tuning in, right? So some of you might take the challenge. Last year, we did this thing where we all read through the New Testament during Lent. You, you might this year do something really simple and say, you know what? I'm just going to read a psalm every morning. Maybe just get through 40 of them. It's fine. It's great. Psalms 1 through 40. Great. They're all great. But it's, 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 a, it's a thing where you say, I'm just going to do that. That's going to be my practice during Lent. I'm going to do something to help me really listen. Or maybe some of you are like, we're in the Gospel of Mark. I'm going to read the Gospel of Mark through Lent. And if I get through it once, I'll read through it again in another translation. Great. Do it. It's a way of turning. A, Lent is a time to turn away from some things and then to turn toward the Lord. So how, how can I listen but I also think it can be a time to take a little step. See, what makes a good listener is when we let the seed really go in deep. And that means that maybe you only know this much about Jesus. You say, okay, that's all I know. But you know what? I'm going to act that much with what I know. Jesus said, You'll be judged on what you do with what you've been given. But he's talking about revelation. He's talking about your picture of Jesus. So some of you, you're like, I know enough about Jesus to know that 
it's not really living the life of a listener to sort of keep showing up at all those same parties. I, I probably need to stop that. Right. So do that. So I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that I'm ready to like get baptized or anything like that, but I just think I need to stop. Okay, great. Let's start there. Start there. Others of you are like, you know what? I think I just I kind of, I'm watching too much stuff. I'm just kind of numbing the pain and the loneliness that I feel. All I do is I just zone out and I, I, I need to, I see something, something happened this morning when we were singing about his love being so much sweeter. I, I don't know what that means, but I see like this much of it, so I want to respond to that much of it. Does that make sense? And something happens. Something happens when you just listen a little bit and you say, ah, wait a minute, what's going on there? It starts to go deeper. It starts to do its work. And the generous sower and the powerful seed begin to yield in your life and in my life a bountiful harvest. Amen?